Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, you are listening to the China Sports Insider Podcast. My name is Haig Balian, and I am with Mark Dreyer. He is the author of Sporting Superpower, an insider's view on China's quest to be the best. Mark, how are you? I'm fine. I'm uh, fortunately uh, have escaped all the lockdowns that are kind of going around town. I had one colleague who's uh, who's just come out of a lockdown, another one who just got nabbed. So China, well, Beijing right now where we are, um, very few number of cases. It's it's uh, single digits yeah. on a day to day basis. But compounds, you know, are getting locked, locked down all over the place, and and people getting. I saw deliveries of cabbages and rice, which sounded appetizing. That two weeks of that is going to be a oh uh, my well, god. Fences just go up overnight around some of these compounds. So yeah. so China's still doing doing its uh, whack a mole COVID zero strategy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like Shanghai, which has a lot more cases, and yeah. it, there are a lot more lockdowns. I, I, I know personally a couple of people who've been sort of caught in the dragnet here in Beijing. Luckily, haven't been one yet. Yeah, China had its first two deaths, basically in, in two years from COVID. Uh, both of them were about 1,000 years old, I think, and had a lot of underlying conditions. So the COVID death rate in China is still officially zero. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, you know, we kind of, kind of all escape these lockdowns and, and move on and we can get back to having some sports events that we can actually go to here. So that would be, um, that'd be a nice change. That would, that would be, that would be a nice change. Today, we're going to get some of your insider views on a couple of topics, uh, including Joe Guan Yu's F1 debut and an exodus of North American and European players from the KRS women's team. But then we're going to get into our conversation with Davide de Gobi. Awesome conversation. We talk, we go really deep into F1 racing uh, in light of Joe Guan Yu's historic, historic race. Uh, did you watch the race? Yeah, I did. I mean, it was uh, fairly late China time, but there's a lot of... Um a lot of anticipation around it. I, um, and I mentioned to Davide when we, we spoke uh, a little bit earlier, I was stunned to see how many people in China were, were, were focused on this. I mean, we've been talking about him for a while. Uh, I got the chance to commentate on his um, F3 Asian Championship Series for the English language audience uh, about a year or so ago when he was uh, trying to qualify for his Formula One uh, uh, racing license, uh, his super license as it's known. And yeah, he did a great job. So I kind of got to know him a little bit uh, through that. He's, I mean, it was just so great to see him do so well. I, he's such a genuine guy as well, you know, like really likable. And I think that is what is going to endear him, not just to Chinese 
motor racing fans, of which hopefully there'll be more and more uh, every week, every time he races. But I think globally as well, he could be a big star. He speaks good English. He's a he's well-presented guy. Uh, and uh, he's just, like I said, humble and likable. So um, fingers crossed that, that this can continue. Let's hear his reaction after the race. It's amazing. I'm so speechless, you know. It was so emotional race, so intense, not physically, men- mentally. And uh, yeah, to be scoring my first ever Formula One points, you know, in my debut is something I would only dream of. So, hi, you'll probably hear a little bit of a trace of a, a British accent there. Uh, not fully, but uh, he, he is based a lot of the time in the UK. So. so one of the things I found interesting, he wants his name to be listed in the Chinese manner. So yeah. uh, that's family name first, uh, first name second. But F1 just can't seem to handle that for some reason. Well, F1 got it right, I think, but some of the commentators just couldn't just... They, I don't know why this is so hard. I really don't. I was actually stunned to see on Twitter and, and elsewhere, people are kind of surprised by this. Maybe like we've lived in China too long, it's, it's kind of used to this and people still don't know that the, the in Chinese, Chinese, the family names come first. I mean, typically, again, it, it people can list their names. Sometimes people uh, of, of Chinese heritage or descent or nationality go overseas and they deliberately flip it around and and people can have the name however they want yeah but he is asked can it be joe guan as it as it is listed in china his team on the radio still call him joe so i don't know if that's kind of like a you know they actually realize this is like you know on the other teams they they talk about lewis not hey hamilton uh drive quicker you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah but but it, it's whatever works it's not a big deal he just politely asked and and some of these commentators like had a, had an issue with it, so I don't know. Well, I mean, it sounds like they're going to have to get used to it. Uh, he's going to be on the on the circuit for a long time, based on how he did uh, this week, which is really exciting. Before we get to Davida, I wanted to update uh, our listeners on one thing. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how European and North American based players for Kunlun Red Star had left the team. They didn't really make the playoffs, so it didn't factor in for this season. It'll factor in probably for next season. But Mark, you mentioned that the women's league is still ongoing and that North American-based players on the team were still, at that point, on the team. Uh, But that's changed. Well, the team still has a number of international players, so it's a little bit complicated because there was the there was the roster pre-Olympics, and that was um, also supplemented by some players who have, some of them uh, rejoined the team and others uh, um, uh, have joined for the first time. So they're still playing in the Russian Women's Hockey League, which we kind of noticed was potentially a little bit controversial given uh, the the world of sport as it relates to Russia. There's Swedes, there's Finns, there's Canadians, there's Americans, there's Russians, there's Chinese, of course, on that team. A bunch of the players were kind of officially released, but uh, uh, as I understand it, they were most of the Team China squad who were never going to join up for the rest of this season. I think what we're looking at right now is the World Championships are coming up in the spring and some of those players may rejoin directly in Poland with uh, Team China uh, in uh, in a few months' time. So let's uh, wait to see what happens on that. But I did want to say there was some crazy stuff going on. Um, there's been some injuries. Uh, I, it sounded like it was probably COVID, but don't have confirmation of that. Um, the team was absolutely gutted to the point where they have this unbelievable goalie called uh, Nora Ratti, who's Finnish, and she's basically one of the best goalies in the world. She previously had played for the uh, for the Kunlun team, and she's rejoined. So she's just been saving everything in sight. She doesn't really need a backup, but she hasn't had a backup. Mm. <laughs> so so right. what they've, they've actually dressed two of the Chinese defenders 
in goalie pads for some of the recent games because all the uh, all the the regular backup goalies have been sick. So, so there's some pictures of of you know players who have never played goalie. I oh mean, thank goodness for them that Nora uh, didn't get injured. Uh, but it was kind of crazy. I mean, they had like basically half a team, and they're on an unbelievable winning streak. I think last time I looked, it was 17 or 18 games in a row that this team is winning. Um, at half strength, but they're just so good. That's amazing. Let's get to our interview with Davide. You've known Davide for a while. How, how do you know Davide? Davide is basically the guy when it comes to organizing a racing series, motor racing series across all of Asia, to be honest. Uh, he's based in Shanghai with his company called Top Speed, but uh, he's put on you know, ones, ones for a lot of the, the manufacturers. They have their own series, whether it's Ferrari, Porsche, Audi, and so on. Uh, or whether it's uh, the collaborative series where the, they go across uh, go across Asia. If if there's motor racing in this part of the world, chances are he's right at the thick of it, and he's probably organizing it and pulling all the strings. And he and he has a lot of opinions, which he shared with us, and it was great. Uh, learned a lot. Uh, we caught up with him in a Shanghai hotel room. He's in quarantine right now. He just got back to China. So uh, here is our interview with Davide de Gobi. David, in your bio on your website at topspeedchina.com, you wrote that your biggest hope is to one day send a Chinese driver to the F1 podium. After last weekend, that possibility is, is closer than ever. What was it like for you watching Zhou Guanyu race and, and not just race, but also get a result? Yeah, it was uh, exciting because, uh, as you say, uh, it was uh, one of my goals since I arrived in China. To, to finally see one Chinese driver, first of all, to compete in, uh, in Formula One. And then uh, hopefully arrive at the podium, win some race. Uh, Zhou Guanyu, it's, uh, it's, it's the result of a, of a lot of uh, effort that has been put in the Chinese motorsport. So it was uh, exciting for me, but I think it was exciting for, for the whole Chinese fans to see that uh, the Chinese driver can... Uh, can take part in Formula One, but actually to be competitive in Formula One. David, I think um, a lot of, you know, mainstream Chinese sports fans are just really discovering him for the first time at the moment now that now that he's sort of exploded onto the F1 scene. But uh, when did he first come onto your radar? And when did he start, uh, you know, when did he first get a chance to meet him? And I know that he's raced in some of the series that you've uh, organized too. Yeah, actually, I mean, with uh, Zhou Guangyu, I get a chance to know him uh, only last year. Even if it seems that uh, you know I'm in China since a long time, I I know all the young Chinese driver. But uh, honestly, if you really want to develop your career as a, as a professional race driver, you need to move in Europe quite early in your in your life. So Zhou Guanyu, like some other uh, young Chinese driver, moved to Europe quite early since karting. So karting Formula Four, and Formula Three, and Formula Two. So actually, it was a bit out of my out of my scene and out of my radar. Uh, last year, I had the possibility to to meet him and then to spend a lot of time together because he joined um, Formula Three Asian Championship. Uh, we spent five weeks together in Middle East, and then uh, for the first time, despite I follow his result in internet, despite also he joining uh, my former team when I was in Europe with Rema. So I know a lot about him. I had a lot of feedback from, from Prema. I know that he was a good driver, but uh, finally I had a chance to meet with him, talk with him and understand a lot about him. And then it was a, 
I was really impressed uh, by all this um, quality that he has. That's why I would say my real connection with him is just from last year. So from what you've seen then, what is his ceiling? What's your opinion? I was really impressed because uh, he, the way that he managed Formula 3 Asian Championship was uh, really as a professional driver's. Even, you know, for him, uh, it was already a Formula 2 driver. He did already two seasons in Formula 2. He stepped back uh, to Formula 3 Asian Championship because he wanted to train, of course, during winter, a preparation for what was considered for him the most important season because it was the season where if he succeeds in Formula 2, he can really step in Formula 1. If he's not succeeding, maybe he has to stop or go to other, other series. So... He had a really a professional approach, even if it was a downgrade for him to a Formula 3 level car. For him, it was important also because he needed to score the last part of the super license point that was necessary for him to, to achieve the super license. So he has these two targets. And the way he approached was, uh, was really impressive. I saw him uh, in one month that uh, the way that he grow, know the car, know the team, because the team was new for him, despite it was Prema, but he left Prema for two years. It was a different car, different tires, but uh, he approach was really professional. And I didn't see any mistakes in, in like in 15 races, 15 qualify, he always performed really, really well. Uh, every time he's concentrated, professional. So at that time, even if I would say it's a bit lower in terms of a level of a competition, it's not like Formula 2, but actually the level of participant was quite high. I already understand that he has really a skill to, to really become a, a, a top driver. So when you say a top driver, I mean, you can see from the emotion that he showed after the race uh, when he got his first point finishing 10th. You know, I, I think it's fair to say he exceeded his own expectations for his debut. Um, but he's raised the bar now uh, for himself. What can he do not just this season, but but in in F one, you know, <laughs> give us a prediction here. Like how how far can Joe Guan Yu go in, in in motorsport? I think you know he was extremely happy, and everybody were surprised because I believe most of people don't know about Joe Guan Yu and his potential. Only if you are if you are like an expert of motorsport, if you follow him before, you know that he has a skill. He's fast is really precise and especially what surprised me a lot is not doing any mistake so this is a he's a good quality so fast and not doing mistakes means that when you have the opportunity you can score points you can be in front that's what happened in uh, in bahrain it was yeah it was a surprise of course because it's the first race for him and i think the main target was to finish the race and don't do any mistake not be involved in any accident if you see it was a bit uh, conservative in the start because he lost some position but I think he is aware that the car is competitive I have to say Alfa Romeo has a very good and competitive car but then he was he was calm he didn't want to uh, rush and then he wait for the opportunity to overtake a car when he could overtake so he was clever he was there he didn't want to do more because he know that he was close to the points but you know he was not trying to do more and try to get on the 10th place maybe taking more risk so he was there then okay luck helps sometimes some car in front of him stop and he get the points but uh, it's the result of the old race where he managed in a very clever way so where he can arrive if he has a speed as i believe he has a speed 
if he still keep calm and then he keep growing and learn from his teammate because he has a very good opportunity to learn from a very experienced teammate. He has a car now. I believe he can score more points and then his target. And what I will really recommend for him is just don't do too much. Just avoid to be to do mistakes. If he doesn't do mistake, I'm sure he can score more and more points. Now, now you mentioned Alfa Romeo. And, and when he signed with Alfa Romeo last year, what, what went through your mind? Is that a good fit for him? I think it's very good. I mean, it's important, first of all, to find a seat in Formula One. And he managed to do it. Uh, Alfa Romeo, you know, last year was not coming from a good season. They didn't score many points. They struggled a lot. Surprisingly, I would say they made a very good job. They made a good car. Uh, they are supported by Ferrari with a good engine as well. So the technical package they have is extremely good. So it showed that uh, they are in the middle field now. They are not uh, on the last part, so they can be probably constantly in Q2. That's a good point. Uh, with the performance of Bottas, you see the car is competitive. So he has really a good chance. So the package, I think now, Zhuguan Yu and Alfa Romeo is really good. Davide, there was there was perhaps some some unfair criticism of Joe, you know, prior to for for people who didn't know anything about him, and they were looking at you know other young drivers like Piastri who had been overlooked from F two and, and not getting that seat. What's your understanding of Jogoni's situation with Alfa Romeo in terms of you know people saying oh these pay drivers in Formula One they don't have any talent in terms of you know the sponsorship and the funding for those people who are kind of criticizing and saying well he's he's chosen because. He brings this Chinese sponsorship opportunity. What's the reality here? Can you clear this up? Because a lot of people have been talking about, you know, whether he's he's being paid, whether he's bringing money in, who these sponsors are, whether it's an Alfa Romeo, uh, uh, you know, taking a punt on, on a young driver. What, what's your understanding of the situation here? You can imagine that as Italian, I, I read a lot of uh, critics because, of course, he has taken the seat of one Italian driver. So there was a lot of negative comments about Joe Guan Yu that is a pain driver. He takes the seat of a driver that has more merits than him. It could be Giovinazzi or it can be Piastri. But uh, uh, of course, I, I know the story behind. I know it's not true. Uh, anyway, motorsport is a combination of two factors. Uh, you need to be competitive. You need to be fast. And also, of course, you need to have some support. Uh, we need to remind it. Remember that uh, Zhou Guan Yu arrived uh, at uh, this opportunity finishing third in the Formula 2 championship. So is not a driver that is not showing to be fast and performing. So the level of championship of last year was very high. He won several races. He got probably some uh, unluck in the second part of the season because he led for uh, three quarters of the season. The championship was led by, by Zhou Guan Yu. So I think he deserved in terms of result. Is one of the drivers that should be quick and consistent in the last, uh, at least the last two years in Formula 2. So in terms of result, he deserves it. Uh, again, if I compare with the Giovinazzi, because I, I heard a lot of critics that he lost the seat because of him, Giovinazzi finished second in Formula 2. He didn't win, so it's just one position ahead after two years as well. So I think he deserves in terms of result. Then, of course, if you have a financial support and financial help, it helps. Uh, we don't have to hide uh, around this uh, this fact, but uh, motorsport and especially Formula One with some teams, uh, of course, they always need some budget. And if a driver can bring also some budget, it's a help. And I think uh, Alfa Romeo is not to, not only looking at the budget of Zhou Guan Yu. I think it's a win-to-win situation because having a Chinese driver for a car manufacturer, it could be a really 
winning combination. Already, you see now that uh, Alfa Romeo is in the is in the mouth of everybody in China. Now everybody is talking about Alfa Romeo, so it's a very good promotion for them. So I think that there was a combination of budget, but also a marketing strategy. So the Chinese driver had an added value. China is the biggest car market, and not only only for car market, but also for other for other uh, other commodities. So it's uh, an advantage, I would say, more than other nationality to to be Chinese. So Zhou Guanyu has these three combinations. So he's fast, consistent, and I mean, a good driver. He can get uh, support, financial support, and he can be really uh, like a promotional, uh, promotional, let's say, um, tools for, for manufacturer for brands. David, what can this do for motorsport in China? I mean, I was... I was stunned, actually, how many people that I saw that I didn't know were necessarily motor racing fans or even sports fans who were posting about this on the, you know, on, on social media, on, on WeChat and, and so on here. You know, I have, I've been involved in, in motorsport in China, commentating for well, about nine years, I think, was when I first got involved. You, you obviously, much, much longer uh, and at a much deeper level as well. What can this do to catapult uh, motorsports in China to, to the next level? For sure, this is a really a good uh, a good help for for Chinese motorsport. Uh, Chinese motorsport it's growing, it's growing fast. But uh, at the moment, what we are missing in Chinese motorsport is the base. So we base we are missing the base of the young drivers, the young driver that's starting to do karting and to do junior formula. We are really struggling, despite. Uh, a lot of project that has been done, we are really see that uh, there are not many young drivers. So motorsport at the moment in China is, is going at two different speeds. So we have a lot of uh, uh, activities related to gentleman driver, GT series, touring car and GT, where there is more involvement of manufacturer. But on the on, on the on the ground level of of the pyramid, I mean the lower level is really uh, missing missing all the young drivers. So I hope that this fact that uh, Joe Guan Yu made it, made it to be in Formula 1, first of all, and now to score the points that this I mean, is an incredible result, will give the motivation to some young kids to say, okay, I, I want to start. I want to do motorsport as well. I would like to see how I can start. So it will take years. I believe it's not something that we will see the result tomorrow, but it will take probably a couple of years where we can see that parents will try to also address their kids to do motorsport. It might be that motorsport become a, a sport like other where people and let's say parents can address it. At the moment, motorsport is limited from my point of view only with the, from people that understand a little bit more with passion and is very, very limited in China. Parents are not pushing kids to do motorsport. So I hope that really this will boost a lot of the interest who, for, for parents, for kids to join motorsport. You've been based with Top Speed in, in Shanghai for a number of years. And of course, that's the home of the, the Shanghai Formula One Grand Prix. One of the things we've spoken about as we sort of previewed the Formula One season and, and looked ahead to what Joe might do is is just the the disappointment, I think, that... that uh, uh, of the one race he can't race this year is his home Grand Prix in Shanghai. Um, how much of a blow is that, do you think, that, that he's not able to race in front of fans? And how confident are you that the race will return, uh, you know, post-COVID? Of course, it's, it's we don't know for sure, but how confident are you that, that 2023 he'll be able to race in front of his home fans in Shanghai? 
for all the Chinese motorsport is missing Shanghai Formula One Grand Prix. It's already two years, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really it's really a shame that we can we can have the Formula One Grand Prix here, but even other countries suffer the same situation. Now, of course, with Zhou Guanyu, it's changing everything. Uh, I would say that the, before it was there was not much interest, and nobody was was thinking about having Formula One back as soon as possible. Because of course, yeah, okay, Jugon Yu is there, but nobody expects this result. I think now more and more people will push to, to have a Shanghai Formula One Grand Prix back as soon as possible. Uh, Jugon Yu is from Shanghai, so it's another point and that where he can really attract a lot of people. I believe that the, the next Formula One Grand Prix, the grandstand will be full again, but full with real fans. I think there will be more partners and more sponsor interested to join the event, to, to link with him and to link with the event itself. So it will be a big boost. Uh, we need a Shanghai Formula One Grand Prix back. I, I really have a hope. I mean, uh, I know that is out of the calendar this year, but uh, I think there is maybe a small hope after the result, uh, you know, with the fact that uh, Russia is not anymore in the calendar. There is a date that is quite close to the old date of Formula One Grand Prix in Shanghai that is uh, around September, October. So I hope that um, they might review and maybe, you know, with still six, seven months in front, maybe with the less COVID restriction, maybe creating a bubble as they have done for Formula One. But I think they should consider. It's the right momentum. It's uh, something that uh, I hope the Chinese Federation and the Shanghai Circuit could consider to reapproach again uh, FIA and see if they can take this date because uh, sometimes you need to catch the momentum. Now is the right momentum for uh, for for the Chinese motorsport and for Zhou Guanyu. So I hope we can do it. Otherwise, let's wait for 2023. Because we already know that the Shanghai Grand Prix was extended for a few more years after this year. Um, but we also heard about the possibility of maybe another Chinese Grand Prix as well. Uh, have you heard anything about that? Like, do you have any news about that? But I heard... Uh stories yeah, about uh, adding a uh, second event, but um, honestly, not, not more than rumors. I, I, I really don't know more than that. But uh, again, the fact that uh, we have a Chinese driver uh, maybe will give more confidence to local authorities or a sponsor to push to have a second Grand Prix. So just on that, um, I, obviously, it's, it's kind of speculation. I know that some of the Formula One executives have, have spoken about this, but more in kind of theoretical. Um, Shanghai is the, the only track that that would be licensed to hold a grand prix at the moment so we'd have to build a new one where are the most likely situations uh, uh the locations uh, as far as you're concerned but honestly looking at the at what is happening in, in in the formula one world championship if i am if i have the possibility to bring a second race i would consider a street race because uh you need to invest less money on the circuit it's, it's a temporary venue you can decide to go you can really locate the place where you want to go. So the city, the market that is more interesting. And then it's uh, in terms of cost, I think is more efficient a street race. And we see now with the, with the circuit that they built in, uh, even in Russia, I would say, in, uh, in Jeddah, uh, there are circuits that can be built, uh, even in Vietnam, actually, the, the circuit that has never been used. Uh, there are circuits that are more efficient probably in the city. You have to invest less money and you can be ready in a very short time. So honestly, if I have to do it, I will consider a project for a street circuit. And any cities in particular? But of, 
I mean, we're, we're sitting here in Beijing, so we'd love to have it here. Exactly. I hear you say Beijing. That's why I say city, because uh, in the city, you know, you can go everywhere. If you build a permanent circuit, uh, China has, a, you know, you have to do a big investment. And I would say, yes, Beijing for sure is the place where I, I would do a second Grand Prix. But if you do a big investment and, you know, Beijing is limited for the weather condition that, I mean, it's cold, so you can utilize a, a facilities like this for a few months in a year. So that's why I will, I will probably point on a, on a Formula One circuit on, on, on like a street race. And of course, it would be Beijing. I mean, for me, if you have to do another city, it should be Beijing. David, if we step back a little bit, like like just talk uh, talk some about your career in China and and what you've seen in terms of the development of motorsports here. You know the ups and the downs. We we've we go back a few years and, and the grandstands for 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 F one in in Shanghai were fuller than they have been in more recent years. We had a bit of a peak when we had you know Ma Qinghua and, and he was test driver for 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 one of the Formula One races there and there was some excitement around him. We've had some other um, you know highs and lows. Where are we on that development curve um, right now? Yeah, as I said before, motorsport is uh, is growing. It's every year I can see that uh, we have more and more motorsport activities, more events, uh, more drivers. Uh, motorsport is alive and you see that uh, there is potential and it will grow. It will still uh, keep growing. Uh, in terms of drivers, so where we are in terms of drivers, uh, it's driver with potential. I mean, Joe Guan Yu for sure is the pinnacle and is the result of many, many years of uh, investment sacrifice that he did with his family. We have another driver in Europe that uh, actually he couldn't achieve the, the result of uh, Joe Guan Yu and, and that's what probably mostly probably for financial reason, but in terms of performance also is really, really very fast driver. He's already under the radar of many manufacturers. Uh, Yehi Fei, that we have to remember last year, just for unluck, he didn't win the, the Le Mans 24 hour. Now he's an official Porsche driver, he's racing in LMP2, he's one of the most, uh, I'd say, uh, uh, research driver from, from professional team because he's really quick. It was just, a matter of unluck because he didn't have the proper, proper financial support to to do the next step in uh, in, in Formula Two. Otherwise, I think he will have also the chance. Uh, we have other drivers. We have Machinhua this year that is going to join again uh, WTCR, so that is the pinnacle of a uh, touring car competition. So we have a driver that is representing China at a high level. Where we are with the young drivers, so that's uh, that's uh, that's the point. I mean, we don't have many young drivers. I have to be honest. I don't see the next generation. We have uh, a couple of drivers in Europe, but really a couple are two. That's the only see that two that I can see at the moment that are decide already to move to Europe and develop their career. They are actually one is in karting already under contract with the with Mercedes and one is is racing in Formula 4 maybe this year we we'll go in Formula Regional so there are drivers that are try to start and then develop their career in Europe so maybe in 5 6 years time we will see if they are if they can succeed if they are lucky if they have a, the right skill and also if they are economically financially support the rest i would say it's uh, not positive from my point of view because I don't see the young generation as I say I see karting is struggling there are many activities now for karting I see that there are uh, more events uh, more uh, races uh, promoters start to activate to do something but uh, 
the main issue I think in this moment we have more potential event than potential drivers. So we need to work really to to move closer young drivers, young kids to practice go-kart and formula. So we need to educate the drivers, we need to educate the family. I think we are missing this part. So the connection between the family and motorsport. So why a family should send a kids to do motorsport? So what kind of age are we talking here? How young do you have to start to realistically have a shot of making it? I would say when you start around 10, 11 years, it's, it's, it's okay, it's good. I mean, uh, there are drivers, even top drivers that now in Formula 1, they start even later. But I would say when you start to practice with the go-kart when you are 10, 12, it's, it's already a, a good moment to start. And, uh, you know, going back on why we don't have, uh, why we don't have this young generation so, and why we have just limited cases. So the, the limited case, the, limited, the, the number of drivers that are going to Europe is because probably they have a better understanding about motorsport, what they have to do, how they have to do progress, and because maybe their family decide to support immediately. But uh, why the other kids are not joining motorsports? I try to give an explanation to myself. I mean, I try to look around and understand wh- why China is like this. But uh, if you put together all the elements, uh, motorsport is a quite new sport for China. Uh, you know, Formula One arrived... Uh, 2004 before it was even not on television nobody knew about motorsport so it's something quite new and beside that until early 2000 i would say yeah even the chinese they didn't have possibility to drive a car themselves so how can you get passion for a sport where you don't have a car so first of all you need to drive a car you need to understand about a car first usually the first car you buy is your family car then the second or third car maybe is a, is a sport car so then you try to get passion so we are in the stage where Chinese start to have their second car. They start to understand more about the tuning. They start to, to go on the track. So that's why we have more, I would say, touring car and GT car. Because now people start to have their private car. I would say not private car, but not family car. Car for, for, for fun. And then they want to go on the track. So this is what is happening. So now Chinese start to understand about uh, tuning car, about motorsport, about circuit, about competition. So... It will take time because it's a completely new sport. Uh, it was there was nothing before. My theory is that uh, we need to wait actually for the next generation. So the kids of all these drivers that are now racing in GT car and touring car, their kids, I'm sure, will be the next generation of drivers. We will have many because the parents will push the kids to do motorsport. This is what is happening in Europe and in Japan. We have the parents actually pushing the kids because they like motorsport. Otherwise, the kids will never go to do motorsport. So it will take another three or four years. Now, Zhu Yu, I mean, is giving a big boost. But now we have many drivers in, their, in the age of 25 to 40 that are practicing motorsport. Their kids will be the next generation of Zhu Yu. You know, there, there's that Netflix series, Drive to Survive, that's, that's really credited for giving the sport a huge boost in North America, especially, but also in Europe. And, you know, it's just, it's just a shame to me that that's not a series that people here can watch because that's that's it just seems to be that that's something that can also give the um the sport a boost uh here in china is there is there anything like that is there any kind of like what what kind of i don't know what kind of marketing what kind of media is being done right now uh, outside of joe guanyu to to get people excited about the sport actually i would say n- not that much uh we are missing also this part from from my point of view and uh maybe another area that uh 
it will develop, and I think China will be very strong, will be the e-games. Uh, I have an experience, actually last year, together with Zhou Guanyu, when we race in a Formula 3 Asian Championship, we have two drivers coming from the simulator. And I was extremely impressed on the way they drive and the way they behave on the track. And one of them, it was his first experience on the racing. So he just did the simulation. And uh, when he was there with, with other good drivers, I would say top drivers from the series, he behaved really well. He was always on the top 10. He was he never been penalized. So it means that he has a good attitude, uh, know very well the regulation. So this could be another important link. Uh, China is it's, it's very good on, on, on e-games, uh, on everything related to computer, mobile games. So, and we have a huge population that, uh, of young kids can, that, that use uh, this e-game. I think we need to also to try to push in that direction, to try to scouting people from, uh, from the e-games. TV program, I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, I'm not a fan of TV program. I'm not following much. But uh, I think it's uh, another good channel that it will help to develop a motorsport is the e-sport. And then link the e-sport with the real sport. So do the selection there because the e-sport is affordable. After that, we can already do a, a selection and really help the driver that with the skill. Davide, just a final question. It's been fascinating to get your insights on, on the development of, of motorsports over all the things that you've seen. If, if you had to kind of highlight one thing over the years that, that um, sort of fills you with optimism, whether it was a, a driver or whether it was as an event, you know, something you've seen, something you've heard, witnessed, you know, what, what makes you most positive about, about the future for Chinese motorsports? You know, we, we are coming for two years where we are struggling a lot in China. Uh, I would say that it's, uh, it's really difficult. Asia has been penalized uh, a lot compared to, I would say, compared to Europe, compared to US, to the other market. We have been really, really struggling. The fact that the border are closer, we cannot travel, we cannot move around Asia, it's uh, has been really penalizing. So why I'm positive is because uh, I've seen last year a lot of enthusiasm around motorsport. I've seen that uh, last year motorsport grow more than the previous years where the border were open. And this is, I'm talking about the local market. That's why I feel confident the motorsport is growing. I've seen events, more events. I've seen... Uh, uh, the, the number of cars coming to China increasing. I've seen a lot of uh, activation to do something for motorsport. So despite the border close, I, I, will, I will not identify one single event. I will say that all motorsport, despite all the problem last year, show that uh, is alive and they re and really want to grow. It was, a, it was a really an extremely positive sign. We really faced two years with a lot of difficulties. So I will not say one event because I, I really difficult to identify one event. I will see the all motorsport, Chinese motorsport environment last year give a very good sign to be alive. Davide, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoy talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting. All right. That was Davide de Gobi. He is in Shanghai. He's in a hotel room in quarantine. Thanks for that. Let's leave it there. Mark, another week. Let's see what happens next week. Well, uh, I mean, all eyes, of course, on the next F1 race. And the calendar is so packed these days that uh, usually it's just week to week. And sometimes they do take longer breaks. But uh, Saudi Arabia is the, is the, the race for Joe Guan Yu. And uh, hopefully we have a few new Chinese motor racing fans who are tuning in to listen this week. But uh, let us know what you think. You can find me on Twitter, 
Dreyer China. Uh, that's D-R-E-Y-E-R China. And I'm at Haig Balian. That's H-A-I-G-B-A-L-I-A-N. That's it for the show this week. And we will be back next week. 